Hello, and welcome to The Scriptures Are Real. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have helped them become more real to us, because we believe that helps us draw more out of them, and we certainly need all the help we can get. Uh, I'm your host, Kerry Mielstein, and I'm happy to have returning with me today uh, Dr. Brent Schmidt from BYU-Idaho. You've heard him on the podcast a few times already, so we don't need to do a, a lengthy uh, reintroduction other than to, just to remind you he teaches religion there, and he... Uh, is fantastic in his uh, Greek studies, and and we've talked about that before. And he's, I think, just been working on editing some works on Thessalonians. So it's perfect to have him with us. Uh, welcome back, Brent. Thanks Thank for you. being with us. I'm excited for the New Testament commentary, First and Second Thessalonians, that will be coming out. I'm hoping maybe in the next nine months. I've been editing all the chapters in the last couple months. Well, I, we're excited for it. So that's that's great. Thank you. Should be good. Um, and I thought maybe we'd start out with uh, an overview of First and Second Thessalonians, and we've uh, uh, maybe I'll just uh, kind of start out with that, and you can jump in with all sorts of information and correct me when I'm wrong, and and so on. We may remember from back when we were reading Acts, and that's some time ago, but that uh, Thessalonica is in uh, Macedonia. So this is uh, as he leaves, say, what would be modern-day Turkey. So this would be as he leaves uh, modern-day Turkey, and you may remember he has this dream. This is on the second journey, and uh, he has this dream. He wasn't planning on going across the the straits there and and getting up into uh, what would be Greece today. Um, He um, wasn't planning on it, but he had a dream that there was someone from Macedonia calling him and saying, come, come and help us. And so he went there, uh, went to uh, Philippia and then to uh, Thessalonica and has some success in Thessalonica. The problem he runs into, and we've seen he's run into this a number of times, the problem he runs into is that there's a large Jewish group in Thessalonica. And he started preaching the gospel there and he has some success among Jews and uh, largely among what we call the God-fearers that are there with the Jews. Um, we've talked about that term on the this podcast before. So if you, you didn't listen to the podcast with Gay Strather, and I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that, um, where you'd be able to hear that. But in any case, he has some success with them and then starts to have a great deal of success with Gentiles. And he's in particular helped by a fellow named Jason. And this causes enough trouble. They plan to do violence to Paul and uh, Silas and Timothy. Uh, they're going to to try and hurt them, harm them, or do something terrible to them in some way. And Paul is warned of this, and they sneak out of the city. And Jason, in fact, is uh, goes through some trouble. They, they want to imprison him and do all sorts of stuff to him because he had uh, harbored them in his house and so on. But they got away. And they went away, and and uh, Silas and Timothy went, I can't remember where now, but Paul ends up going to Athens, and he preaches his famous uh, sermon there on the unknown God. And from Athens, when Timothy rejoins him, it would seem, and we learned some of this from the, what we have in this epistle, he sends Timothy to go and make sure that the saints in Thessalonica are okay. And I can imagine, these are people who he's grown to love, and, and he's uh, been working with them, and he just abandons them, not because he wants to, but because he has to flee and, and that will cause them less trouble, but still he knows that they've had trouble because of him. So he sends Timothy back to make sure they're doing okay and they're still faithful and so on. And Timothy comes and tells him they are. And then he's going to write these letters. Some some people would hold that he writes these letters in uh, Athens. Uh, some would hold that he writes it after he's traveled to uh, Corinth and that then he sends the letters back by Timothy or someone after that. Uh, but there's sometimes shortly after that. 
Some would argue that these are the first letters that Paul mm-hmm. sends uh, or that we have record of. I actually would guess that he was sending letters to all of the churches that he had uh, left, especially when he had to leave unexpectedly, which was a number of places. But the, of the ones we have, uh, some would argue these are the first, and some would argue that Galatians is the first, and these are the second. And there are decent arguments either way, but uh, one way or the other, they're they're early on, and uh, this is not that long after he'd had to flee from uh, Thessalonica. So that's, I guess, our historical overview. Do you have anything you'd add to that, Brent? Or thank you, thank you, Carrie, for helping us with the setting. You did a great job. So some people might date. Galatians to maybe 49 AD. And a lot of people might date First Thessalonians just a little bit later, maybe to 52. But maybe some people argue that maybe First Thessalonians is first. But one thing yeah. that a lot of people agree on is just that Thessalonians is definitely Pauline, or yeah. it seems to be you know written maybe by even by Paul himself. Uh, yeah, by, by his own start, hand. Yeah, right. by his own hand. Yeah. Some other epistles may be written by maybe a scribe, maybe Paul dictated them, and we're not sure exactly why the styles don't match up in all the letters. But for our our Protestant friends, they usually put more weight on these the ones that they think that Paul wrote with his own hand, and then Second Second Thessalonians. I think there's some some dispute about that. Maybe Paul just used a secretary. I think from a Latter Day Saint perspective, it doesn't really matter. If it's from the secretary or from Paul, as long as Paul is is dictating with apostolic authority, and yeah. we know that in di- a lot of dispensations, secretaries have always helped, uh, even with the translation of the Book of Mormon, to yeah. to help. So, yeah, and secretaries to presidents of the church, and so on and so on, right? Yeah, and, and uh, a secretary or a scribe uh, may have. Well, just like we had with the Book of Mormon, we had an editor, a typesetter who became an editor and kind of changed some things. They may have changed some wording to make it work better for the way they were writing or the way they thought it should be written or something like that. And so that may be some of why that the, yeah. we get some differences. But uh, but one way or the other, it's still this inspired uh, yeah. thing from the, the mouth of Paul. And we should uh, add this. This is important for all of Scripture. So let us suppose, and I don't know this is the case, but let us suppose that one of Paul's epistles is dictated by Paul to a scribe who changed it a little bit. Um, Not much, but a little. Well, you know, even Paul, what he is trying to convey, he can't convey that well with his words in Greek and, and writing and so on. The fact has always been that whoever is teaching us, whether that be Christ himself, uh, we need to have the Spirit with us to understand what God really wants us to understand from it. And if we have the Spirit with us while we read these things, then we'll understand what God wanted us to get, regardless of how well Paul said it, described, translated it, or you know, transmitted it, and someone else translated it, and so on. Uh, God, the, the Holy Ghost, is what makes up the difference in all of those imperfections of transmission. We're very blessed to have the Holy Ghost available to us. Yeah. I know even the prophets, I believe, after conference, they also edit their talks even a little bit, and there are secretaries that help. Yeah. And so even even today, that I think that's a principle that the the Lord has used. Maybe also it even has the law of witnesses involved, right? If you have Paul and a secretary Agreed. and others that maybe that confirms also gives a couple added witnesses that there we have somebody writing someone who um, is the apostle who's dictating or writing himself. And then we even have a, a letter carrier. So in the Roman world, they don't have a, 
the um, a postal service for average people. They just have it for the imperial government. It's like the Pony Express kind of. So yeah, in a lot of ways, we're lucky that we have these special letters that can teach us about our Savior Jesus Christ and his gospel. In Macedonia at the time, too, we know that the Romans are very concerned about this region. We have the the Via Appia that goes right through here. Mm-hmm. And and so there's just a lot of people. That's, that that's would, a roadway for people. It's a major roadway. Yeah, it's a major roadway. I got to go there uh, the summer of 2022, and uh, you can you can still see the the ruins and the influence that this area had. And so, in a lot of ways, if Paul can establish a great foothold here, it helps with the missionary work all over in the you know moving west and into Rome. And, and maybe yeah. he wants to go to Spain eventually. We learn that in Romans. Yeah, and uh, Thessalonica is a very prosperous city, very, very prosperous. At this time, they estimate maybe around 200,000 people, but very prosperous because it's both on this major route and it has uh, good water access and so on. So yeah, uh, it's an important place, and it, uh, I think Paul felt like it was really a shame that he had to flee that place. Now, there are a number of themes that we can follow both in First and in, uh, first and Second Thessalonians, but I don't know that we need to overview that because they're short enough books that we'll just do them at right now. So Yeah, we can go uh, over some of the high points. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we can just uh, jump in. I, why don't you go ahead and start leading us? I know I have uh, some questions that I, I think I'd love to ask you and some ideas I'd love to explore with you. But yeah, uh, why don't you start us out and, and tell us where you'd like to go first? Well, let's just begin with with the first verse here in First Thessalonians. So it reads here, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, and, and Joseph Smith adds a little bit, servants of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it, it mentions here, uh, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So in some of these epistles, he begins with this idea of with, with grace be unto you and He's basically, I think, blessing them. Grace is a gift, and he's hoping that all the gifts of God will be available to them. And, of course, as we receive these special gifts, hopefully we we are, are desirous to make and keep covenants and have a relationship with Heavenly Father and do his work. Right. And then he says again in verse 2, uh, we give thanks to God always for you all. And so, again, we have this idea of, of charis. I think Hesed is kind of blending in here, right, that that there is this relationship, this covenantal theme that Paul is is keeping his covenants as he is trying to thank God, as uh, he's always praying uh, for these these individuals. And I think he's hoping that that they will they will work. In verse three, so remembering without ceasing your work of faith. So the idea is that they need to work. It probably more um, would say fits what people understand this time to say your work of faithfulness or. Sometimes faith or pistis can mean covenant. So the idea is that that they need to be inspired to also act as disciples. And it says, in labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. So again, we have this this definite article, uh, the God we see that refers to God the Father. And I think even the King James translators who like to make things Trinitarian have a hard time even taking that out there because... We know that also we're elect, um, this word in Greek refers to um, not election in the, in the sense that we're automatically saved, but election that we've been selected by God to do his work maybe Good. before this life in verse four. Good. And it may be partially in my mind, this probably again has covenant overtones. Well, you've made a covenant, so you are now chosen. You are a cho- part of the chosen people chosen to do this work. Yeah. Okay. 
And I, I think um, it's interesting. Uh, it seems to me that much of what he's trying to say in these first few verses is to highlight both his gratitude for their their loyalty, their faithfulness, uh, and and what they're doing, but also to highlight that they're in a covenant relationship with each other, that they've joined the covenant community, as it were. So it's not that we covenant, well, like when I joined the church, I don't covenant to you or with you. I covenant with God, but we become part of that covenant community, and thus we have a covenant relationship with each other. And I think that's what he's talking about. You've And, and this is a theme, uh, and we're going to see that while this is earlier than a lot of his epistles, there are a lot of themes he has here that are developed more fully in other epistles. Like I think Ephesians has a lot of things in common with Thessalonians and so on. But uh, but th- this is one of those themes that you've left the, the being a Gentile behind, and you're now part of this covenant group, the chosen people. And covenants help us to, and they empower us ultimately to have a relationship with Heavenly Father. And Yeah, and that's in fact God their did. point, right? Yeah, and Jesus has commanded us once we have that relationship to love one another. Yes, and that's that's one of the thing one of the themes also here in in First and Second Thessalonians is that we we love, we take care of each other, and we help each other, and and that's part of our covenants really is to to love God and love other people. Yes, that, you're absolutely right. So we haven't, as I said, we haven't covenanted with them, but we have covenanted to uh, well. We've covenanted to have this relationship with God and to love God and to love others. And as a result of that, we will take care of each other. And then verse five, it says, for our gospel came and the gospel again is this Greek word where it's a good message, literally, or good news. Sometimes they translate it that way. But I think in some ways it also could be this idea of uh, a messenger too, maybe in Greek that, that Paul is uh, that Jesus is the special messenger of heavenly father Mm -hmm. and that his servants are also, preaching this good this good message and, and Christ is only, sometimes called the messenger of the covenant that's one of the phrases that is or yeah, titles that is given him that's a good yeah, covenant connection Carrie so it mentions here that it's um, not only in word but also in power so part of that that message is the power that comes through it says in verse 5 in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance so the Holy Ghost teaches us things gives us assurance knowledge and it yeah. says here, and that, that sanctification, know, right, that sanctification. comes through the Holy Ghost. So, yeah. We know the manner of men we are, uh, we were among you for your sake. So I think Paul is trying to invite them to become like like an apostle, like a, a servant of the Lord. In, in the Gentile world, they have a, a concept. I think it's really good in Greek philosophy. A lot of Greek philosophy, I think, uh, is not helpful because it's relative. But there's some that's really good. It's called virtue theory by Aristotle. But. The idea is that we can develop virtues and help our discipleship while while we watch other people and how they act, mm. and and we see that here a lot of times. To Paul, kind of kind of watch me uh, among you, how I was among you, and it says, and you became followers of us, and then and not just of Paul, and in in a lot of these ancient texts they use the first person plural for right. the the singular, but maybe he's just referring also to 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 Silvanus and Timotheus. Uh, yeah. And so well. Silvanus is, is Silas, right? That's the same guy. Yeah. Silas. Yeah. You remember his when name the... means, yeah, his name literally means like the forest guy or something in Latin. But... All right. Uh, that's cool. So yeah. if our audience remembers when Paul started this second missionary journey that he's on, when he writes this, he had been going to go with Barnabas, 
but the the dispute over whether Mark should come with them or not made Barnabas and Mark go one way. And so he took Silas with them as his companion and Timothy for most of the time. Luke joins them for quite a bit of that. So that's the group. And so I think you're right. The probably the we probably in many ways refers to the people he said this letter was from. Yeah. Yeah. So we see it's in, in some ways Paul is is representing others, but sometimes we we see that a lot of times in ancient writing that they use the first person plural. Mm-hmm. For, uh, just themselves, but and it mentions in verse seven again, and that ye were in, uh, in samples, it says, or would say probably today, in examples to all that believe. Um, the Greek is a little stronger. It means something like all those who are in the covenant are faithful mm-hmm. in Macedonia, and Achaia is the name of the Roman province of Greece in this period. Okay. Yeah, so, so like faithful ones, maybe would be a good way yeah. of saying it, right? Like, faithful yeah. ones is probably, yeah, and then you're not faithful unless you understand things and are part of the covenant, right? Right. Yeah. And and so this gives us this idea that the church in Thessalonica had been uh, strong enough that they provided help, guidance, leadership, missionary work, something along those lines to all the areas around there in Macedonia. Yeah, and that's kind of the artery, maybe the the main uh, center here of the, the church now in this region. Mm-hmm. And it's not just in Macedonia in verse 8 and Achaia, but also in every place. And then it says your faith, or we might say your covenant or your faithfulness toward God is is spread abroad. And so it's it, it mentions here that they're going to be the, the great examples. Uh, they are going to, as they've turned from living uh, from idols, they can serve now the living and true God. And again, maybe there's this idea that this is Heavenly Father, that we make this, these covenants with Heavenly Father through his son. And verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. So we see the power of our Heavenly Father, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. I, maybe wrath's a little strong. Uh, sometimes I think it can mean like displeasure. Yeah. Um, we'll have some chances to talk about that a little later when he starts talking about the second coming. Can I ask you a question about, sure. uh, this is a grammar question for verse yeah. 8. I know in Hebrew, there is a suffix you can put on a noun, and it, and we often translate it as word, right? So toward something. So we would go Jerusalem word or go uh, uh, Lakish word or something like that, right? Yeah. We're going towards something. Um, does that work in Greek as well? Is that why we're getting this to God word? So, yeah, the, the Greek right here says, hey, pistis, humon, hey, proston, theon. So that means something like the, uh, your faithfulness has gone out uh, literally towards toward the God. Yeah, uh, It could be like to the God. But it's and, not a suffix. It's a preposition. No, it's a preposition. Yeah, it's a prepositional okay. phrase, you might say. But I still love this, this idea, this notion that we should be, uh, our, our faith, our orientation, our direction should be Godward. Yeah. You know, like, I I, I, I think that's going to become a new phrase for me. I want to be headed Godward and Christward. Yeah. Uh, and just, that's that's the direction. That's where yeah. we're heading. I think a, a Gentile would also understand this to be something like their action's going to be active uh, and maybe promoting God's kingdom or are focused on on God the Father. So I, I think chapter two really seems to begin a bit more with or with including more about how Paul and his companions acted 
when they were with uh, the saints there, well, converting them, right? When they were bringing them into the fold and then nourishing them in the good word of God as they've been brought in. Uh, and it seems like he's this becomes a model of how we should uh, act towards each other in this covenant community that we're talking about and towards everyone, all people, of course, but especially within the, this covenant community. So yeah. that's at least how I read it. So what do you see yeah. in there trying to teach us uh, by their example, the way that we should act? Well, in verse five, well, there's a whole bunch of things that that he wants them to think about what they tried to model when they were in Thessalonica. But verse five, it says, neither any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. And then the, and then he says, God is witness. They're, they supply this verb to be, but a lot of Roman culture and literature is about flattery and and also covetousness. Everybody is is interested in other people's property. There's lots of theft. Um, and, and so by he, flattery, we mean it, we could also say like sophistry, right? Just uh, yeah. it's it's trying to be convincing in the way that you say whatever mm -hmm. you have to say to be convincing, as it were. That's right. Yeah. So a lot of people in the Roman world get ahead through flattery and and really they're they're trying to do that by maybe taking advantage of other people and they ultimately they're they're motivated by covetousness and and some of that maybe the flattery uh cloaks maybe some of that desire they have to get ahead if if they flatter enough but we know that if you study like Suetonius's 12 Caesars i mean it's just chock full of every example you can think of of people who are are flattering others and they're trying to cloak their real desires to yeah. hurt others. Right. And it says, uh, nor of men sought we glory. So the Romans are all about glory too. Right. And, and then he says that a lot of the Romans like lists uh, in Latin, there's this word called otium, which is leisure. So everybody's after power and then also uh, leisure time. And, and even in, in Roman culture and Roman law, it's it's actually discouraged to work with your hands. You're supposed to allow slaves to work with their hands and pursue otium or leisure. But verse nine, Paul says, for you remember, brethren, that our labor and travail and we, we labored not just during the day, but night and day, he says. And we didn't want to be chargeable unto any of you. So anyway, Paul is trying to not be a burden on anyone. We know in Acts 18 at the beginning, he actually makes tents. Yeah, uh, at times to pay for his, his own way. So he's trying not to take advantage of people like a lot of the Romans might have. And that's and, going to be a, a theme in this letter. Like, okay, you should be working. You should be contributing, not not freeloading or being a, a burden to each other. Yeah, that's right. Now, I, I, maybe we can explore just a little bit more of this idea of, of not seeking what the world tells us we should seek, but seeking the things of God, because I think he has that laced throughout this, this part here, right? Um, you get in verse two, we were bold in our God to speak unto you, right? Uh, so it, it's yeah. it's God who is, uh, it's because of God that they're saying what they say. And then verse three, but it, it's not out of deceit or uncleanness mm -hmm. or guile, right? So he's just what you were saying. They're going to great lengths to say, we, we didn't say things in the way that you wanted us to say them to try to convince you. Instead, right. uh, if we go to the end of verse four, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God, right? Mm, this, yes. this is an important principle. We didn't speak in the way that would try and make you feel good about things using the sophistry and all the, 
the tools of oration that we've been taught and that are so prevalent in this society. We spoke to please God, not men. And and that's why we're going to get things like in verse six that you already read. We we didn't seek the glory of men, right? Um, he, I think this is a, a real key both for what he is doing and should be a key for us. It is so easy in our day to try and do everything, even when you're doing things for the sake of uh, of the gospel or the kingdom. Sometimes we have in mind so much, well, what? how will it affect others? What will others think? What will they see? How can we do this in a way that they don't think we're weird? Or how can we do this in a way that they think we're we're great? Um, we, we can focus on that so much that we start to focus on pleasing men rather than God. And the, the problem with that is, and we're going to see him addressing this later, that that then leaves you open to being influenced by men mm-hmm. or the world rather than by God. Uh, yeah. and, and we're going to see that's one of the major things that he addresses. And so in many ways, this is the antidote for what he's going to bring up later. Quit worrying so much about what men or your culture thinks and tells you is important and instead worry about what God says is important. So this makes me think of, of President Nelson telling us that the world tells you to seek, uh, uh, what is it, possessions, popularity, uh-huh. power and pleasures of the flesh, right? That's what the world tells you to seek, but that's not what God tells you to seek. So we need to have this change in orientation that Paul is always talking about. There also is power, I think, to priesthood power when we only worry about what God thinks and try to please him. We know in the book of yeah. Acts, so Peter is able to just just say, you know, even though you guys think we're unlearned, we're not schooled in the rabbinical studies like you guys were, but we're just going to please God. We're going to talk about Jesus, whether you like it or not. And as a result of just worrying about what what Jesus and Heavenly Father thinks, he is delivered from prison by angels. I mean, all kinds of miracles happen left and right. Yeah. He's able to do as he's focused just on on pleasing our Heavenly Father. And and I think that that's a big part also of this covenant relationship, right? With with grace and faith is that if we're all if if we really have this special covenant relationship. We're just going to worry about what God thinks and not what everybody else does. But it's pretty hard, I know, in our world with social media and all the other kinds of things. The world can be really loud right now. Oh yeah, very, very, very loud. In fact, I, I just, um, I just learned this uh, the other day. It was uh, from a, a guy who's written a book, and as he was doing his research, he found uh, some study that said that uh, it, the average person today encounters as much as many bits of information, so just information flying at us, as many bits as information in one day as the average person 700 years ago encountered in their entire life. Uh, I believe it. I believe it. Yeah, it's insane the amount of information that's just, you know, you're driving down the freeway and all sorts of stuff just flashing at you and you've got your ear pods in, uh, you know, and and all sorts of stuff flashing at you and, I mean, hitting your eardrums in your brain and so on. Uh, And I think this is part of why President Nelson has also asked us to make more time for Christ. We're having so mm-hmm. much information come in. You better make sure that that you're getting Christ is getting his share in there, or you're yeah. going to be deceived. It's inevitable that you'll be deceived. Yeah. And the scriptures will help us, I think, to know, especially if we'll read the Book of Mormon every day. I think we'll learn, we'll know how to please God. I I wonder if if we don't know enough about Christ and His gospel, it makes it hard to know how to please God. So yeah. I think podcasts like this and any kind of scripture study can help us to 
to know what will please God. But we have lots of good examples from Paul and from Peter and from President Nelson. Ultimately, our Savior was all just about doing his Father's will. Yes. Yeah. Right. There, nothing so nothing more important than that to him. And so it should be that nothing is more important to us. Yeah. yeah. And you, you just said something that made me remember. I haven't said this for a while. And so I like to say this every now and again. Um, we hope that this podcast is helpful for you. But we also really, really hope that it's not replacing studying the scriptures. It should be a, a, an aid in studying the scriptures. But if you're going to do one or the other, then don't listen to us and read the scriptures. Yeah. Uh, the, the scriptures are more important, and we want to be an aid, not a replacement. Yeah, especially read the Book of Mormon. I, I think the Book of Mormon teaches all these things really well. Uh, and all the scriptures, I think, testify ultimately of Christ. And we don't want to take the place of, of Christ. I think sometimes... Uh, podcasts or celebrities or people could maybe take the place of the prophet or ultimately our savior. So the, the Greek word antichrist means literally a substitute maybe is one way to translate it for Christ. And so anyway, yeah. And so I I hope that we are continually uh, quoting the scriptures, pointing to Christ and, and quoting the prophets so that we are conveying their, their words rather than highlighting ourselves. That's at least what I hope we're doing. I've learned when I, teaching religion that there's power in keeping things just focused on Christ and his servants, yes, prophets. And, and I think that's very similar to what Paul is saying. So if we were to go to verse 14, for ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. Right. So he's he's immediately pointing them back to Christ. Right. And he also says, and you've suffered things like your countrymen, you know, the, the Jews have have uh, been persecuting them in Judea. They're persecuting you and so on. But he always has Christ there in the middle of it. Yeah, that's great. Yes. And, and you know, there are people who kill pro- the Lord uh, and, and the prophets, too. They persecute right. all. So we don't we want to make sure we're in line with the prophets. I'm excited for general conference. And yeah. sometimes it, it's hard, I think, to to uh, like everything the prophets say. So hopefully we can pray and have open minds and soft hearts for conference this weekend. Very good. Yeah. And just for our, our audience, I mean, this episode will come out after conference, but we're recording this the day before conference starts. So we are very, very excited. And and by the time you're listening to this, hopefully you're thinking, okay, I need to go back and review some of those talks and so on. So, And uh, in the next chapter, if we uh, move on here just a little bit, we, we learned that some of those details, Carrie, you mentioned about the history. Uh, it's good to be left at Athens alone. And so he's sending Timothy. So we learn a, a few of the logistical things that they're they're encountering as an apostle. But in verse 10, nine and, and this seems to be one of those places where he's saying we, but it's actually just him singular. Yeah, <laughs> he's this is the one who stays a, in Athens while Timothy goes. And yeah, so on. this is probably a we singular. But we see this. We want to kind of watch that as we go through. Yeah. And then he says in verse 10, yeah, night and day. It says, praying exceedingly that we might see your face. So we see that that Paul likes to have as much personal interaction as possible and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. And they make it a question. I'm not sure. It could be a question. In, in Greek, maybe this should be pointed out too. We don't have punctuation. Um, and so a lot of editors are trying to decide if it's maybe, you know, they seem to make this a question here, but yeah. Well, I think it's starting in verse nine is where the question starts. So I I love verses seven through 10, where he's talking about how happy they were to hear that when Timothy comes back, how happy he is to hear that, that they're doing well. I mean, 
uh, he's not happy to hear about their affliction and he's just, but, but happy to hear that they're faithful in the affliction. We get that in verse seven yeah. uh, and verse eight. Um, they're living. His life is, well, if you're standing fast in the Lord, that makes me feel alive. But verse nine is where that question starts, I think. Okay. For what thanks can we render to God again for you? Right. So that's the question. What thanks can we render to God for you? Uh, basically, I'm, I'm just going to kind of rephrase this because of the joy that we experience because of your sake before God, or in other words, because of how you are before God. We've been praying night and day that we might see your face. And we might be uh, perfect that which is lacking in your faith. And so he's asking, how wh- how could we possibly thank God enough for these things? That we have joy because you're faithful to God and we want to help you become even more perfect before God is a way of saying that. And we can we can perfect our our um, our faith, meaning I think probably here understanding our trust in, in the Savior, Jesus Christ, and, and our faithfulness yeah. within a covenant, right? Yes, absolutely. It's that it's pistis, right? Yep, exactly. So the the Greek word when you perfect it, there's actually have a different word. Um, it's episteme, mm-hmm. at least in a lot of Platonic dialogues. So that, yeah, that idea is that we have a perfect understanding of a perfect relationship, right? But good. Yeah. So pistis is still the root word, but you, you, yep. it gets inflected different ways. So yeah. Verse twelve: The Lord make you. So He's praying. This is, I think, literally a prayer that the Lord will will cause you to increase and abound in love one toward another. That's the same thing I pray for my family and for my ward and for my department and so on. We just want to increase. And, and this idea of increasing or doing more and more is a, a consistent theme in these epistles. To increase or to have more and more of love towards one another and toward all men. And then he says, even the way we had it towards you. And and then in verse 13, he talks about how this will help our hearts become uh, unblameable or holy before God, even our Father. So this love, and we've talked about this so often, love of God and love of mankind is what it's all about. If we want to be found holy, if we want to become, and becoming holy is another way of saying becoming more godly, more Christ-like or more godlike or more godly. Well, the path to that is to love more. And so uh, in in the same way that we've learned in the Book of Mormon, we should pray for charity. Here, Paul is praying for his congregation to have charity towards each other. Yes. And he he talks about that in in, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, uh, chapter 13, that this is the greatest gift of God. So there's this idea, I think, that that love is reciprocal and, and can increase and abound, it says. Um, as as we develop different spiritual gifts, that's the highest one. Uh, sometimes I think the list of other things not to do, I think, can keep us from loving each other. So, yes, I, I agree. It's a little bit like uh, uh, President Nelson telling us all these things we can be doing to have greater love and, and alignment with God and so on. And every now and then he has to stop and say, OK, but this is keeping you from loving each other and loving God. You know, stop having contention, uh, something yeah. along those lines. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think, as you said, we get this in Corinthians. In my opinion, we have a whole lot of themes in Thessalonians that we find he just touches on that then Mm -hmm. he develops in great length in other epistles. In other epistles, yes. Uh, So, yes, he's he's saying we need to walk and please God. He says that again at the beginning of chapter four. And, And there are special commandments we need to follow that can help us to love God and others. And, and you get again that phrase in verse one, uh, you would abound more and more, right? He just keeps uh-huh. increasing or more and more. Uh, he, so I love this because what he's basically saying is you're doing good. 
Now let's take the next step. In fact, the way that my kids would, would say this to me is because they're video game cultures. They say it's time to level up. Oh, yes. Right? Yeah, my son so, said that to me too. Yep. You're, you're, you're doing great in your love. Um, and you're doing great in this one and how you, you walk and please God. So he's talked about loving each other, walking and pleasing God, or I think is loving God, but he, in both cases, he's saying you're doing great. Don't plateau. Don't be satisfied where you are. Let's level up. Let's, let's do more. Let's, let's get higher on this. And he's really teaching them commandments. Uh, these are, these are all things that were taught by the Lord Jesus Christ in verse two. So loving others. And then we have this idea as we keep the law of chastity, abstain from fornication, the, the Greek word fornication uh, is pornea. It has the same root uh, as the word pornography, mm-hmm. which means just inappropriate sexual activity. And prophets have defined appropriate sexuality as a marriage between a man and a woman. Yeah. And and so that's a big problem though in the Gentile world. And it's a big problem today. But it's hard to love others, I think, uh, if uh, and ourselves even, if we're not keeping a lot of chastity. Yes. And, and that's a big, it's part of the, the Ten Commandments, and and the Gentiles are struggling. It says here, verse five, uh, with this these lusts, and another another problem. It's hard to love others if we're defrauding each other. It's in verse six, so we want to be careful not to do that. Yeah, and I, I think that actually ties in with the whole fornication thing, right? So, um, and I wanted to hasten to add that as we're talking about keeping the law of chastity, we're not talking about. Uh, what you feelings of attraction or something it's 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 what you do with that right yeah um and and i love the way he's phrasing this he's he's calling our bodies a vessel and he's saying that you need to be if you want to be sanctified then you can't give in to the lust and i think and you can tell me if if you disagree on this and you're, you're more than welcome to disagree but this part about defrauding the first hundred times I read that, I, I thought of like financially or something like that. But as I look at it now and I look at the context of he's, he's still talking about uh, really chastity or, or avoiding fornication or pornea here, um, I think he's saying that if we are breaking the law of chastity with someone else, we're defrauding them. Uh, and that's a, that's a powerful idea. To, uh, you know, we, we yeah. often don't think about the way we are objectifying people or treating them when we're doing it to, to satisfy our own lusts, which is only thing it is. If it's not done within the bounds of marriage, it is then only to satisfy our own lusts. And, uh, and so we're defrauding other people besides not being upright and sanctified before God. Uh, We're not really loving each other. We're defrauding each other. I think that's a powerful idea. That's very true. Yeah. And it says, Paul even goes on to say it, at the end of that phrase, in any matter. So yes. maybe it could be dating, you know, could be lots of other things, right? But I, I can't tell you just uh, how many time or how many situations I know where, and the ones I'm thinking of as young women, I, I know it could go the other way, but I think it's more often this way there, where a, a young man wanting to satisfy his own lusts, took advantage of a young woman, sometimes like forcibly, sometimes through flattery and Uh all sorts of other things. And the the way it messed with that young woman's life, physically, emotionally, spiritually, uh, is, I mean, they really were defrauded and it's devastating. And I think if we could understand what we're doing, we would be, uh, we would... uh, 
abhor the notion of of the mm-hmm. consequences but we don't think of that at the time that yeah. it's it's something that's really really worth thinking about and our, our the the savior does say in in jacob chapter two that he delights in the chastity of women yeah yeah and so paul is teaching these principles that that hopefully we'll we'll think about other people and he's also worried about uncleanliness verse seven and holiness actually yeah. And it says here that that he gives us this Holy Spirit that can help us. So yes. that can help us, I think, to not despise or look down on other people, which is right. a big problem in, in the very stratified world of, of uh, the Thessalonians. And the antidote for that and for defrauding people through any kind of defraud, but especially uh, through breaking the law of chastity, is in verse 9, right? So the Holy Spirit will help us have what is talking about in verse nine. And it's the antidote to all this other thing. It's the brotherly love, right? And he's mm-hmm. not, he's saying, I don't have to write you because you're taught of God to love one another. Um, and I think that that is, that's what will prevent all these other things that uh, everything we've talked about, like right? uh, doing things through sophistry or seeking to have more of this or more of that, or um, being uh, unchaste or un- uh, unholy. If we love God and love each other, all that stuff goes away. If, if like the young men I were talking about, if they'd thought about these young women in terms of uh, true love and what would be best for them, they would have acted differently. They would have. Uh, I, I really believe that. And so the love of each other is really, really important. And and I'll note how, again, in verse 10, where he's, he's talking, he says, you know, you you uh, you love toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia. And then he says, we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more, right? There's that idea again. You have had fantastic amounts of charity towards each other, brotherly love, however you want to phrase that. You've had fantastic amounts. Let's do more of it. Let's Let's do more more of it. Let's let's become someone who's even more. And and then there's uh, maybe some, sometimes these are called busybodies in King James English. Yeah, yeah. There are people who are maybe gossiping or, or coveting or getting involved in things that they shouldn't be verse 11. So yeah, always getting involved in someone else's business in some way. Right. I know. And that's not a good thing either. I think it's hard. Um, it's hard to love if we're gossiping about others. Right. Yeah. So we well, I think it, it comes down to pride and pride is again, the opposite uh-huh. of charity. It's a selfishness. And if you're involved in other people's business, whether through gossiping or trying to tell them how they really should do everything or whatever, it's, it always comes down to a matter of pride. That's, that's sad, isn't it? And, Instead of love. Yeah. Uh, and then he also invites them to work with their own hands. Yeah. And, and again, in, in Roman culture, they strive for otium again, leisure. But but this is a, a big part beginning in, in Genesis about Adam is supposed to work and toil. And, and, and then he wants them to be honest. And if he says, if they'll do that, it says here, toward them that are without, that you may have lack of nothing. So basically we can we can bless other people who who maybe need things and, and and also that that we can have all the things we need in verse 12 uh, very good yeah and and this becomes one of the major themes of both letters this idea that you you need to be working right mm-hmm. uh, be busy doing good yeah uh, so yeah we all need we all need a job don't we uh, yeah as as we're as we're engaged in the kingdom we don't have 
time to get in trouble. It keeps us off the streets. That's right. Well, and and honestly, when you are full of love for God and others, like there are not enough hours in the day to do everything you That's want right. to do. And you shouldn't feel guilty about that. We are literally, there is not time and we are not capable enough to do everything that we should and, and would like to do. So you don't feel guilty about it. You just do what you can do and don't run faster than you have strength and so on. But uh, there is plenty to do. And that doesn't mean you never have uh, time to relax and unwind. We do have to relax and unwind. That's that's part of our our uh, current state is yeah. that you have to let your body and your mind repair itself. Uh-huh. Uh, and it and it does that as you relax and have wholesome recreational activities, we could say, yes. to quote from the, the proclamation. Yeah. Yes, we need some of those, but we need, I guess we need balance at the end of the day, but I think a lot of Romans aren't working and yeah, that's one of the problems if you study Roman history is, is that a lot of people are uh, involved in illegal activities instead of uh, helping others and yeah. if they would just work with their hands and, and they wouldn't lack anything in the begin with and they could keep all the commandments, which really involved just loving God and other, loving others. And And so should we talk about the rapture? This sure. Just a yeah. little place here. Yeah. But Paul is is teaching about how Jesus, you know, was risen. And so it says here the 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 doctrine he's teaching is is the resurrection for everybody. Right. And so he says that if we are we which are alive, or Joseph Smith, I think, helps on this one. So in, in the Joseph Smith translation of verse 17, then they who are alive shall be caught up together into the clouds with them who remain. To meet the Lord in the air, and so we uh, shall we be ever with the Lord. And and so, I think there's this idea that because of Jesus's resurrection, there'll be these special blessings of resurrection for all of us. The word "asleep" usually in in Latin poetry, like Lucretius or Catullus, means dead. It's a kind of a euphemism for for being dead. But yeah, and Paul uses it that way constantly in both of these letters. And, and this theme is a, again comes up in in Second Thessalonians, and it's not a surprise because he writes that one soon after the first one. He's still addressing the same ideas, same needs, and he's just heard a little bit more. And so he's going to keep talking about well, there is resurrection, and we are going to be able to be with God. Um, but that kind of leads into what we have in chapter five: this notion that uh, we're looking for the second coming, but let's not get too uh, let's not get crazy about it. I, I, yeah, that's right. That's not exactly. He says, but we'll, we'll be with the Lord in the air and ever with the Lord, he says in verse 17. Yeah. And, yeah. and anyway, that's a beautiful yeah. thing that will be resurrected again. Yep. Uh, resurrected and, and have a, hopefully a celestial body. Uh, the next part of chapter five is just all about, you know, how to love others, uh, take care of people. He, he introduces this analogy about putting on the, the armor of God. He starts yeah. out with that notion of, uh, okay, there is going to be a second coming and you should be ready for it, but you don't know when it's going to come. Mm-hmm. But I love how he morphs from that into, um, you know, don't don't be in darkness in verse four, verse five. I love, ye are all the children of the light and children of the day. Uh, if there could be a theme in our lives, that would be it. Just let's get more and more into the light and less and less time for that, which is is not of the light. And it seems, too, that there's a, a principle here at, at church universities. We have a curfew, and I've also served in some YSA uh, bishoprics, and I've noticed that a lot of 
most of the students who get in trouble, it's something they did after curfew. So if we can, if we can uh, be awake and, and not be drunken in the night, or sometimes at least our, our senses are, maybe we're less likely to, to hear spiritual promptings, but uh, the Romans also put on all their armor during the day. The Romans always fight battles in the day. Mm. And so anyway, we don't want to be spiritually or physically or both asleep. Right. 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 We, we want to edify each other. Verse 11. Uh, we want to be at peace among yourselves. And so president Nelson has been talking about being a peacemaker. And then he just mentions all kind of uh, gives us a nice list of, of what not to do. Don't be unruly. Verse 14. Comfort the feeble-minded. That's something we can do. Support the weak. Be patient. Don't render evil for evil. That's very common in the Roman world. And it mentions here, they also not just have positive reciprocity with grace, but they have negative reciprocity too. Yeah. And it's so it's he's, he's natural not, for yeah. all of us, isn't it? That if yeah. someone does something to us, we want to do it back to them. That's the natural man in us, right? Yeah. And that's, that's I think, contrasted with the, the phrase that was right before that, be patient toward all men, right? So, it's it's one thing to uh, have someone who is doing ding dongy stuff or even bad stuff towards you and feel like, well, all right, they're ding dongy, so they deserve this or they, they did this to me. I'm going to do it to them. And it's another to say, OK, they're they're in a different place in their progression than I wish they would be. Uh, and I'm just going to wait for them to get where I, we all would like them to be and we'll help them. We'll support them. We'll comfort them. Uh, but we're not going to, tra- you know, get back at them. We just have to say, uh-huh. and I think that's an important thing. We don't want to do it in a condescending way No. To say, OK, there's a reason they're doing what they're doing. I don't know what it is. They probably would like to be in a different place. I'd like for them to be in a different place. I'll just wait for however long it takes for them to get to be in a different place. And then we hope that people will extend that same charity back towards us. Yes. And, and, you know, we are commanded to forgive everybody. And that's one way we can show love uh, is when we're willing to forgive. It seems that the Lord discourages and his servants discourage all the negative reciprocity and encourage all the positive reciprocity through covenants, ultimately and relationships with God and others. Yeah. Anyway, we're supposed to rejoice all the time, pray without ceasing, always be giving thanks. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophesying. So listen to the brethren. Try to prove things, all things, he says. Hold fast to that which is good, verse 21. Abstain even from the appearance of evil. And and hopefully, as we uh, also in this dispensation do all these things, it says the very God of peace will sanctify us, verse 23. So. And then that reminds me of uh, President Nelson's talk on finding uh, peace and rest. Uh, and it comes from, he made covenant connections, which sanctify you and, and comes from God and so on. You know, we honestly could give a sermon on on every one of those things in verses 17 through 22. Uh, if we could talk for forever about the power of rejoicing, about the power of praying, about the power of gratitude. I was just recently reading a thing like the most consistent thing uh, that is... Uh, demonstrated in psychological experiments to increase happiness is gratitude uh-huh, is, the, yes. the most powerful thing um on uh we could give sermons on how to make sure you don't do things that chase the spirit away tons of sermons on 
people who, when the world teaches them one thing and prophets say another, they despise what the prophets yeah. are saying and accept the world, yeah. right? All of these things we could give sermons on. We don't have time here, but I would encourage our audience to give some real thought to each one of those. I think this is like one of the more powerful lists in scriptures. This is important stuff. This is a good list. Yeah. Maybe one little thing about if I had to give a, a, a sermon in like 10 seconds about prophesying. So prophesying in Greek just means you speak, uh, someone who speaks for other people. Yeah. And it, it's really that way in the Old Testament as well. Yeah. And and so you have people who speak for God or people who speak for themselves or other people. But when prophets speak, they're really just speaking for Jesus and Heavenly Father. Yeah. And we have that principle throughout the Doctrine and Covenants. But we don't want to despise prophets because if, if we do, we're just despising Jesus. Yeah. And that's not a good place to be. And I yeah. think he'll touch on this a little bit more in Second Thessalonians, this idea that uh, we need to to not be taken in by the world, but mm -hmm. instead listen to the things of God. And those things of God come to us through his prophets, whether ancient prophets that we're reading right now or modern prophets that we'll hear tomorrow or by the time you hear this podcast, you can go back and listen to again a couple weeks earlier. So Again, we in Second Thessalonians, we have uh, Paul Solanus and uh, Timotheus. They're, uh, they're writing, uh, and it mentions here that we have some of the same themes. We need to thank God always. And he's uh, he's talking about the charity again, verse three, mm -hmm. of every one of you, uh, all toward each other aboundeth. So maybe this is a little bit like, good job, guys. We're, we You've learned a little bit. We're developing yeah. some charity. They've leveled up a bit. You're leveling up. You're yeah. level two now. Yeah. Or three, maybe. And it says here, we glory in the churches of our God, right? So patience. And then there's the idea of uh, we need to have faith and faithfulness when we're persecuted. There will be some of that will, will happen. I know prophets have said that will, you know, occur more as the second coming gets closer and closer. And I think we're seeing it quite a bit, like people who hold to the, the standards of chastity we just talked about. No matter how loving we are and in, in holding to it, uh, we'll be persecuted for that. And yeah. it's getting to be more and more and more intense. I mean, it wasn't that many years ago when 90% of, of cultures uh, would have agreed with us. And it's changed differently, uh, or I mean, drastically, um, yeah. that uh, there are persecutions for that and for all sorts of other things. So they were being persecuted in Thessalonica, and he's trying to strengthen them. And so it's great stuff for us to read as persecutions are happening for us. Yeah, and it is, it is normal, I think, too, uh, that people leave the church or persecute members of the church. That's sometimes how it happens, too. It's hard to yeah. keep these commandments. And and it, it mentions here that if you're troubled, verse 7, uh, to you who are troubled, rest with us. It says, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed uh, from heaven with his mighty angels. And then we don't have to worry about judging others or, or trying to set everybody right, because in flaming fire, it says, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there there will be eventual uh, punishment. Uh, as we sing in one of our songs, the wicked who fight against Zion will surely be smitten at last, I guess is what the hymn says. But we have that, yeah. that general principle here. It's an important theme, and, and he's, I think he's going to touch on it a bit in this um chapter. And it's one that uh, I've ended up talking uh, about quite a bit because I teach uh, classes on Isaiah and Isaiah talks about this a lot. The idea that um, there are, there are, is a wicked, a group of wicked people who are oppressing the saints of God. And you find that 
say, in Nephi's vision, well, Lehi and Nephi's vision, you see it in John's vision and Ezekiel's vision and Daniel's vision and so on. It's a pretty consistent theme that there is going to be a group who oppresses and persecutes the church of God, and God will plead with them to stop oppressing and persecuting. But for everyone who chooses not to, then God will have to remove the oppression. And there's only one way to remove oppressors, and that is to to punish them, to to take Uh them out of uh, any ability to do that, which is punishment, uh, falling, being oppressed themselves, uh, however you want to put that, you have the choice. Uh, We're all going to be either uh, oppressing or not. And uh, we need to choose not to be part of the oppressors. And I think that's part of the contention thing that President Uh Nelson is telling us about. But this vengeance and and uh, all sorts of things that are talked about with the second coming, in other places it's talked about, this is when we relieve the oppression. This is when we remove the oppression. Uh, it's in verse 6 where it says, it's a righteous thing with God. Yes. Those connotations of this is justice. This is where we set the balance, the scales, the way they're supposed to be um, and, and uh, make it equal for people rather than someone's being oppressed. So it's an important theme and i think we need to keep in our mind with it this idea that the the great and spacious building the great and abominable church the kingdom of satan the great beasts however you want to uh, put this will have their day but it's a short day and they will there is no foundation and they will fall and that's what we need to remember when we're being taken in by their flattery Uh uh, by their deceitful words that this this is sophistry but it doesn't last and it will fall. Huh. And, and and we do have to demonstrate our faithfulness, don't we, within this covenant. So it mentions here that there will be at the very verse, uh, end of verse 11, the work of faith will will have their really power there. And and again, it says the name of our Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified in us. I, I think they're using a Semiticism. Uh, and I think is maybe translating the, the the Hebrew idea of bait, right? But with with us or through us or by us, mm-hmm. those are different ways you can translate that preposition in Greek. And, and mentions here, and, and the Hebrew. grace of our God. Our Savior will just give us lots of gifts or graces and and hopefully we'll, we'll stay really strong in that covenant we have um, with uh, our Heavenly Father and with, with uh, Him. Very good. Very good. And that all of that really does kind of lead naturally to chapter two, where it would seem that they uh, and I think that they did think the second coming is coming anytime now. Christ left. Yeah. He said he's going to come again. And so we've got we've preached and we're setting up these kingdoms of God all over and and he's going to come again soon. And uh, I, I don't know that Paul knew exactly when he was going to come. And he probably like most thought it won't be too long, but he is letting them know it's not maybe quite as soon as you thought. Yes. Uh, uh- the the prophet Joel Smith also wonders the same thing, and yeah, in the, the early of days of our church for sure. Yeah, the Lord says, "Well, it doesn't really matter because when you're 86, you're going to see my face either way." Yeah, yeah. And so, in some ways, there when we go to the spirit world, I think in some ways that it's kind of like uh, an experience with the Savior. But yeah, it is a, a, our own second coming at that point, right? That, yeah, it's kind of a personal yeah. second coming. Um, but uh, and so, I, I think some some scholars like to kind of mock this idea of of the the people in this type are waiting for a second coming but paul does say pretty clearly that that um he uses this word uh it's not really falling away in verse three but it's uh the greek word is apostasia which is uh literally where we stand away we, we totally rebel yeah uh, 
and, and it seems that from the wording here, it's a very universal thing that the the man of uh, sin will be revealed, uh, the son of perdition, or or being lost. The the Greek word a lot of times refers to being lost. So people have walked away completely from the Lord. I think this this means that there's no authority anymore either. That they're very lost. The son of of, of being lost is is raging uh, during what we call the apostasy, and that's why we need a restoration with the prophet Joseph Smith and yeah, and a continuing revelation uh, restoration with with uh, President Nelson prophets today. And in fact, I think this is such an important concept. Uh, this falling away, or as you said, it's it's a kind of rebellion. It's a, an intentional turning your back on and doing something else, as it were, right? Um, and certainly. This is, I think, Paul is is talking about the, the, what we call the great apostasy. There would be our, our Protestant friends and Catholic friends would disagree with that, but um, but I think that's part of it. But I think it also works for um, personally turning away or or mm-hmm. turning your back on and rebelling against God, which happens for all sorts of people in every day. And I think it's part of, as I look at this man of sin being re- revealed and he's the lost one, he opposes and exalts himself above God. And of course, yeah. all of that really describes Satan very well, but it also describes the great and abominable church of the great and spacious building. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's this, it's really the kingdom of the world, we could say. And Satan mm-hmm. is is the the king of the kingdom of the world, but they don't often realize it. Some might, but most people don't. They just think yeah. it's mankind's great ideas or something like that. Yeah. But there is a battle, as Nephi teaches us, between the the saints of God, the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of the world, and um, and it's happening. It, it happened in a big way, but it's happening all over the place, all the time, with all sorts of people, members of our church, members of other churches, or whatever that that turn their back. And are convinced by the things of the world. If we were to see the way this theme is developed in Ephesians, they're they're uh, you know they blown about by every wind of doctrine or by the deceits of the world. They just this is the flavor of this year that, that our culture tells us. This is what you should be upset yeah. about. It's another one. Next year it's another one. Whatever it is that we should be upset about, we'll be upset about it, and we'll turn away from God. Um, whereas opposed to that, Paul tells us in verse three, "Let no man deceive you." Yeah. Right. Um, and, and in verse seven, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who uh. now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Right. So it's happening with us in verse 10 and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. This is what's going to happen if you are deceived by the ideas of the world. So if you listen, I would put it this way. If there is something that you feel so strongly because, and you may not realize it's because you've heard the world so much and absorbed it, you've drunk of that Kool-Aid a little too much, however you want to yeah, say. Yeah, there's a lot of people um, drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah, <laughs> that when you're listening to the prophets and and they say something, you're like, I'm not so sure about that. No, I think the church is wrong on this. The church has this wrong. That's because you've been deceived. You've been too taken in by the things of the world, and you need to remember the world falls. The great and spacious building falls. Uh-huh. Uh, they feed on their own flesh. They they turn on each yeah. other. It's ugly and terrible for them. Yeah, it it, it does yeah. not go well for them. And you need to think of that when you're having those, oh, this is bothering me. It's going to happen to all of us to some degree. The, uh-huh. the prophets are going to be trying to prick us out of where we are to get us to level up, as it were. And, yeah. uh, and so we're going to be pricked. And you have to ask yourself, when I feel that discomfort, am I going to side with the world or with the natural man in me or with the prophets? 
and uh, and say, okay, I need to rethink. Why am I feeling this way? Why am I thinking this way? How have I been influenced? What do I need to do differently? Or are we going to say, no, the church needs to do differently. The prophet needs to do differently. Uh, which one are you going to be? Because oh, yes. one of those groups is going to fall and one is going to stand forever. Yeah, I, I know that Jesus went, I'm going to be on Jesus's team. I'm happy to. Yeah, I don't want to be on the in the spacious building. Um, it also, if you read in the Book of Mormon, it floats on air. Uh, That's in right. Verse, in verse four in chapter two, it just says, "Whoever opposeth and exalteth himself above God or above all that which is called God or is worshipped." So I think that this also, you know, applies to individuals. I think mm-hmm. this is evidence too that there was an apostasy occurring even. Uh, in the apostles' times, they're worried. They're they're worried about that, and it mentions here that that um, there will be, you know, Satan. Um, verse nine, like you like you said, Carrie, that there will be all kinds of uh, Satan working with power and signs and lying wonders. And I think that verse eleven, you could translate something as like that God um, will allow, sometimes sending is also allowing uh, or permitting something to happen, a, a delusion. Right that they'll believe a lie. So our heavenly father gives us agency and allows, allows us to have agency and choose whether we want to be on, uh, on good ship Zion or not. Right. Right. And keep yeah. our covenants. And yeah. And I think he, he sums it all up so well at the last few verses of this chapter where he says, brethren, stand fast. And hold to the traditions which you've been taught, whether by word or our epistle. So these are the things that we've been taught by prophets. Yeah. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father. And I would guess this is the God, even yeah, our Father. Yeah, the God, yes. And you can yeah. translate sometimes articles as, as pronouns, too. Yeah. Even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. So in other words, right now it may seem bad. It may seem like the great and spacious building is winning. These these beasts that Daniel sees in his vision are winning. The kingdom of the world is winning. But the way Daniel says it is that the stone cut out of the mountain comes and knocks everything else down and it yeah. stands forever. Right. Yes. Uh, the, the, what he's trying to tell us is stand fast. This may be tough right now, but God will triumph. Everyone who has been deceived by the world will fall. Uh-huh. And if you want to stand forever, the only way is to be with Jesus, as you said, to be on Jesus's team, or in other words, uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, our father that have yeah. loved us. And, and I love and, everlasting yeah. consolation. That's great. Yeah, Everlasting consolation, I think, is this idea of a covenant as well, that that it will, the, these covenants that we make with Heavenly Father, who's faithful, will abide forever. And they can give us uh, good hope. And these, these gifts or grace that our Heavenly Father gives us, especially this empowering gift of, of his son, Jesus Christ's atonement and gifts of the, the spirit will help us. So he says, good. be comforted, comfort your hearts, establish yourself in every good word and work. Yeah. So we're invited to act at grace. I think and these gifts invite us to act and keep our covenants and, and be faithful, not even get close to the, the spacious building or, or anything else that that's going to fall. Good. And this is a, like uh, this project we're working on. This is one of those places at the end of verse 16 where I, I feel like grace really is a fairly good equivalent for chesed, right? The, yes, the it is. consolation and hope we have is because of chesed, or in other words, because we're in a covenant relationship with God and thus through Christ, he will extend uh, unending mercy, help uh, mm-hmm. and love. Yeah, chesed is all those things, all those 
those graces, those gifts. Yeah. And we, we need them all, don't we, to stand right yes. now? Yes, we do. Yeah. And then he just says, uh, pray for us, brethren. Help us. Hopefully we pray for prophets, too. Yes. And it mentions here, uh, Paul just kind of goes through, again, kind of reiterates, maybe there's some chiasmus here that, that you know, he he tried to set a good example. He uh, he wants uh, everybody to, to be an example. Verse 9, as we go through, he, he just it reminds them to be quiet, um, not take advantage of anybody's uh, food. Verse 12, uh, work with your own hands. Uh, he says that... Um, you know, don't company with people you're not supposed to. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, he I, I think that one in particular, if you if you read uh, verses 10 through uh, 15, I think he is in particular talking about and, and maybe I'll stop and just kind of speculate a little bit. We know that in Jerusalem, they were trying to have at least some kind of, of communal living, right, where we all take care of each other. And I don't know exactly how they tried to en enact this in the the communities that Paul set up, the, the covenant communities. But my guess is there's some degree of we're all going to take care of each other. And if you have uh, abundance, then you are going to impart to those who don't have as much. But it would seem that there are people who are trying to take advantage of that. Mm, uh, just are. like there were when they tried to um, establish that in Joseph Smith's day, right? That there were people who weren't taking advantage of it. And you know, Joseph Smith had to receive revelation saying, well, you can't just freeload in this system, right? We want no. we want to take care of everyone, but you do need to do what you can do. And uh, and I think this goes back to that theme we had in in First Thessalonians. You, you do need to work. You need to do what you can do. And maybe your work isn't as successful as someone else's, but if you're working, then we'll all share. But if you're just not going to try... Mm -hmm. And then we're going to to not uh, share with you in that same way. And I think that 10 through 13, I think, or what 10 through 12 are pretty clearly all about that. I think mm -hmm. 13 and 14 are as well. Brother, and be not weary and well-doing. Keep getting out and doing work. But if someone is not obeying our word by this epistle, and I think he's talking about what he's just been talking about, right? If yeah. he's not doing the work that we've asked him to do, then don't have company with him. That he can be ashamed. In other words, let's stop imparting and see if he'll start working and come in. But mm -hmm. when you're doing that, don't count him as an enemy, but instead right. admonish him as a brother. Work with him, right? Don't say, yeah, work with them, okay, we're them. not going to keep helping you because you're a dirty dog and we can't stand you. Yes. Look, we can't keep doing this if you're not going to be your part. Let us, we love you. Let us help you get doing what you need to be doing so you can be part of us. I think that's what he's saying in verses nine through through 15. But it would apply yeah. to all sorts of other things, whether it's sharing, you know, helping people who aren't, yeah. uh, uh, you know, letting them eat when with you or whatever. It would, uh, I think, don't count them as an enemy and admonish them as a brother would apply for all sorts of things that we all struggle with. Yeah. And in a lot of ways in our words, I think this is good counsel for us mm -hmm. to, that we need to magnify our callings and not take advantage of others. And and hopefully we're all pulling our weight and lifting where we stand. Yes. Yeah. And it, it, it counts for like working in the ward, right? Like some people are more capable than others of doing various things. And it doesn't matter as long as we're all doing what we can. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And that's part yes. of a covenant we make, right? When we're, when we're baptized and in, in, in the temple to, to build the yeah. kingdom and never yes. wait. That's exactly right. Yes. Yes. I, I'm giving you my emphatic agreement. Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, it's been, it's been a pleasure to read through these, these epistles. With you, yeah, Gary. 
And I'm wondering, I'd, I'd kind of like to kind of close maybe with this thought, if it's okay, uh, just because this verse spoke to me so much. This is, I think, a great way to uh, close. It's there in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. And I just pray for you, for me, and everyone listening, that the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Uh, I, I hope that's where we all are. Let's love God. Let's love each other more and trust that Christ is going to come and make all things right. And in the meantime, we'll just keep trying to level up more and more love of God, more and more love of each other. Let's get to level uh, five, everybody. There you go. <laughs> Pleasure to be with you, Terry. I love your enthusiasm. Well, uh, I, so. yours as well. I, 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 this, I, it was an exciting conversation for me. Yeah, it's exciting. Well, let's chat scripture some more. Um, I'll get you some some things on Hesed and how it's rendered into to Greek. So, great. We'll keep working. Thank together. you. Yeah, thank you, Brent. Uh, I'm looking forward okay. to uh, the the work that we'll be doing together, and uh, just thank you for helping us understand these letters, and thank you for uh, helping us be edified. And we hope that our audience will share. Uh, what you've learned with people, uh, uh, both in word and in deed, and maybe even in uh, uh, reviews or likes or whatever it is that makes it uh, that so that the algorithms share this with more people, but mostly in just uh, in loving God and loving each other. So thank yeah, you. That, that's all we need to do, brother and sisters. Just love God, love others. I think if we really love others and love God, we'll, we'll share the gospel, uh, anything that, that's helping us ultimately uh, Jesus Christ blesses all of us, but he wants us to take care of each other, doesn't he? Yes. Uh, so well said. Thank you, Brent. Thank you, Carrie. Have a great day, okay? You too. Okay. See you. Signing off here. <laughs>